Brethren, it's impossible to uh, adequately express the staggering sense of responsibility I feel tonight in accepting this responsibility and assignment. Like the uh, mule who entered the Kentucky Derby, I know I probably shouldn't be here, but I sure like the company it lets me keep. (laughs) Tonight I include in that company my son Matt, whom I love with all my heart. I pray earnestly for the Spirit of the Lord to be with us in our assignment. The recent study to which Elder Larson has just referred has forcefully confirmed statistically what we have been told time and time again. That is, if loving, inspired instruction and example are not provided at home, then our related efforts for success in and around Church programs are severely limited. It is increasingly clear that we must teach the gospel to our families and live those teachings in our homes or run the risk of discovering too late that a primary teacher or priesthood advisor or seminary instructor could not do for our children what we would not do. May I offer just this much encouragement regarding such a great responsibility. What I cherish in my relationship with Matt is that He is, along with his mother and sister and brother, my closest, dearest friend. I would rather be at this priesthood meeting tonight with my son than with any other male companion in this world. I love to be with him. We talk. We laugh a lot. We play one-on-one basketball. We play tennis and racquetball, though I do refuse to golf with him. That's a private joke. We discuss problems. I am the president of a small university. He is the president of a large high school class. We compare notes and offer suggestions and share each other's challenges. I pray for him, and I've cried with him, and I'm immensely proud of him. We've talked long into the night lying on his waterbed, a 20th century aberration which I know, as part of the punishment of the last days, will... will one day burst and wash the entire family helplessly into the streets of Provo. That's that's another little private joke. I feel I can talk to Matt about how he's enjoying his seminary class because I try to talk to him about all of his classes at school. We often imagine together what his mission will be like because he knows how much my mission meant to me. And he asks me about temple marriage because he knows I'm absolutely crazy about his mother. He wants his future wife to be like her and for them to have what we have. Now, even as I speak, I know that there are fathers and sons in this meeting tonight who feel they do not have any portion of what is here described. I know there are fathers who would give virtually their very lives to be close again to a struggling son. I know there are sons in our meeting who wish their dads were at their side tonight or any night. I've wondered how to speak on this assigned topic without sounding self-righteous on the one hand or offending already tender hearts on the other. In answer to that challenge, I simply say to us all, young and old, never give up. Keep trying. Keep reaching. Keep talking. Keep praying. But never, never give up. Above all, 
never pull away from each other. May I share with you one brief and painful moment from my own inadequate experiences and efforts as a father. Early in our married life, my young family and I were laboring through graduate school at a university in New England. My wife, Pat, was the Relief Society president in our ward, and I was serving in our state presidency. I was going to school full-time and teaching half-time. We had two small children then with little money and lots of pressure. In fact, our life was about like yours. One evening, I came home from long hours at school, feeling the proverbial weight of the world on my shoulders. Everything seemed to be especially demanding and discouraging and dark. I wondered if the dawn would ever come. Then, as I walked into our small student apartment, there was an unusual silence in the room. What's the trouble? I asked. Matthew has something he wants to tell you, Pat said. Well, Matt, what do you have to tell me? He was quietly playing with his toys in the corner of the room, trying very hard not to hear me. Matt, I said a little louder, do you have something to tell me? He stopped playing, but for a moment didn't look up. Then these two enormous, tear-filled brown eyes turned toward me with the pain only a five-year-old can know, and he said, I didn't mind Mommy tonight, and I spoke back to her. With that, he burst into tears, and his entire little body shook with grief. A childish indiscretion had been noted. A painful confession had been offered. The growth of a five-year-old was continuing, and loving reconciliation could have been wonderfully underway. Everything might have been just terrific, except for me. If you can imagine such an idiotic thing, I lost my temper. It wasn't that I lost it with Matt. It was with a hundred and one other things on my mind. But he didn't know that, and I wasn't disciplined enough to admit it. He got the whole load of bricks. I told him how disappointed I was and how much more I thought I could have expected to him, of him. I sounded like the parental pygmy that I was. Then I did what I had never done before in his life. I told him to go straight to bed and that I would not be in to say his prayers with him or to tell him a bedtime story. Muffling his sobs, he obediently went to his bedside where he knelt alone to say his prayers. Then he stained his little pillow with tears his father should have been drying. Well, if you think the silence upon my arrival home was heavy, you should have felt it now. Pat did not say a word. She didn't have to. I felt absolutely terrible. Later, as we knelt by our own bed, my feeble prayer for blessings upon my family fell back on my ears with the most horrible hollow ring. I wanted to get up off my knees right then and go to my son and ask his forgiveness, but he was long since peacefully asleep. My relief was not so soon coming, but finally I did fall asleep and began to dream 
which I seldom do. I dreamed Matt and I were packing two cars for a move. For some reason, his mother and baby sister were not present. As we finished, I turned to him and said, Okay, Matt, you drive one car and I'll drive the other. This five-year-old very obediently crawled up onto the seat and tried to grasp the massive steering wheel. I walked over to the other car and started the motor. As I began to pull away, I looked to see how my son was doing. He was trying. Oh, how he was trying. He tried to reach the pedals, but he couldn't. He was also turning knobs and pushing buttons, trying to start the motor. He could scarcely be seen over the dashboard. But there, staring out at me again, were those same immense, tear-filled, beautiful brown eyes. As I pulled away, he cried out to me, Daddy, don't leave me. I don't know how to do it. I am too little. And I drove away. A short time later, driving down that desert road in my dream, how long I do not know, I suddenly realized in one stark, horrifying moment what I had done. I slammed my dream car to a stop, threw open the door, and started to run as fast as I could. I left car, keys, belongings, and all, and I ran. The pavement was so hot it burned my feet and tears blinded my straining effort to see this child somewhere on the horizon. I kept running, praying, pleading to be forgiven and to find my boy safe and secure. As I rounded a curve, nearly ready to drop from physical and emotional exhaustion, I saw the unfamiliar car I had left Matt to drive. It was pulled carefully off to the side of the road, and he was laughing and playing nearby. An older man was with him, a stranger playing and responding to his games. Matt saw me and cried out something like, Hi, Dad, we're having fun. Obviously, he had already forgiven and forgotten my terrible transgression against him. But I dreaded the older man's gaze, which followed my every move. I tried to say, Thank you, but his eyes were filled with sorrow and disappointment. I muttered an awkward apology And the stranger said simply, You should not have left him alone to do this difficult thing. It would not have been asked of you. With that, my dream ended, and I shot upright in my bed. My pillow was now stained with perspiration and tears. I threw off the covers and ran to the little metal camp cot that was my son's bed. There on my knees and through my tears... I cradled him in my arms and spoke to him while he slept. I told him that every dad makes mistakes, but that they don't mean to. I told him that it wasn't his fault that I had had a bad day. I told him that when boys are only five or fifteen, dads sometimes forget and think they're fifty. I told him that I wanted him to be a small boy for a long, long time, because all too soon 
he would grow up and be a man and wouldn't be playing on the floor with his toys when I came home. I told him that I loved him and his mother and his sister more than anything in this world and that whatever challenges we had in life, we would face them together. I told him that never again would I withhold my affection or my forgiveness, and I prayed that never would he withhold them from me. I told him I was honored to be his father and that I would try with all my heart to be worthy of such a great responsibility. Well, I have not proven to be the perfect father I vowed to be that night and a thousand nights before and since, but I still want to be, and I believe this wise counsel from President Joseph F. Smith. Said he, Brethren, if you will keep your children close to your heart, within the clasp of your arms, if you will make them feel that you love them and keep them near to you, they will not go very far from you, and they will not commit any very great sin. But it is when you turn them out of the home, turn them out of your affection, that is what drives them from you. If you wish your children to be taught in the principles of the gospel, if you wish them to love the truth and understand it, if you wish them to be obedient to and united with you, love them and prove that you love them by your every word and your every act toward them. Close quote. Brethren, we all know this is not an easy assignment. But surely it ranks among the most imperative ever given in time or in eternity. We must not turn our children away. We must keep trying, keep reaching, keep praying, keep listening. We must keep them within the clasp of our arms. That is what friends are for. Of this I bear witness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.